Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website, abouttoreview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. Subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. It is on all of the podcatchers, but especially Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, and the aforementioned website, abouttreview.com. This week's episode is going to be a little bit short, mainly because it is late. I just got done recording a guest spot on the Northwest Nerd podcast with Nick and Dyer and a couple other special guests. That will be out tomorrow. Uh, wait, yeah, uh, Thursday is when it will be out. So yes, tomorrow as you're listening to this. So it is a late show. It is a solo show. I'm by myself in the studio. So on today's episode, what I'm going to be talking about are some geek news items and then a quick review of In the Heights, a musical originally done by Lin-Manuel Miranda that I saw at the Seattle Rep Theater recently. And then the only film that I will be reviewing on this week's episode is Anna and the Apocalypse, the new zombie high school musical around Christmas from the UK. Yeah, all of those things. Uh, Yeah, it is going to be great. Uh, Probably a little bit shorter. Not probably. It will be a little bit shorter than normal because I am just talking to myself in the studio. Uh, The other thing about the podcast, if you want to support the show... That would be great. You can do that in a number of ways. Uh, There's a support tab on the website. If you want to click that, there's a direct PayPal link if you're feeling generous. Or you can go to the Amazon wish list, which is in the show notes below, and buy some pens or a notepad that I use for every episode and everything that I do. That would be pretty fantastic. Cool. All right. So before we get into the episode, we'll get into the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. First thing up on the geek news, so Shang-Chi, the Master of Kung Fu, a comic book series from 1973, well, started in 1973, went straight through issue like 125 and 83, and then has appeared sporadically throughout the past couple decades. Marvel is fast-tracking a Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu movie. Why, you would ask? Uh, when we have such, you know, kind of big name superhero movies, my thing is after they kind of, I think, experimented with the whole Netflix genre TV show of giving us some heroes that maybe we heard of, heroes that we had not heard of, like most people had not heard of Jessica Jones before the Netflix show. Most people maybe had heard of Iron Fist and then they were like, 
oh, this is Iron Fist? Yeah, no thanks. Uh, but that is okay. I think they were kind of using that as a testing ground. So with this Shang-Chi live-action movie, uh, it could be a, just not a train wreck. I mean, it could be. Anything could be a train wreck. In the hands of Marvel, I think they will do a good job with it. But this would be Marvel's first Asian-led film. So as far as in a starring role, so of course I want it to be good because we need more representation across the board. So this is in the very, very early stages. I'm going to throw out a name that I throw out frequently because he needs more work uh, and he is a great actor. He has a new show coming out called Woo Assassins on Netflix. I talk about him all the time, but Louis Tan, give him the Shang-Chi role. He is a legitimate martial artist. He could do the role. He is physically imposing. We have yet to find out, uh, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, if he is actually Bruce Wayne in the new Titans show on DC Universe. Who cares? Give him the Shang-Chi role. He would be great. So again, super early on in that process. So we will not be hearing much more about that, probably for another couple months. But it is in the works. Speaking of that Netflix kind of trial period that Marvel was doing to kind of give people more content to see how they feel about these characters. Daredevil. The one that started it all. The one that has been consistently the best one of all of them. In my humble opinion, there are people who say that Jessica Jones was better. As I say frequently, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, even if that opinion is wrong. Uh, so Daredevil was great. This last season with Bullseye was fantastic. Except for one major plot point and plot thread with Karen. Nobody cares about you, Karen. Stop teasing your origin and then you finally give it three seasons in and we get one episode dedicated to you. Nobody cares. I digress. The news, though, is that Daredevil has been cancelled. Now, this follows the news that Iron Fist and Luke Cage have also been cancelled recently. And the whole time people are like, well, of course Marvel is doing this. Disney Plus, their streaming service, comes out next year. Why renew? Why do more contracts or renew contracts for a streaming service when we're going to be hosting our own? We're going to be providing the content. It makes sense. What worries me is that recently a Disney executive said that they do not plan on putting it on the Disney Plus service. Could they just be saying that right now to kind of gauge interest? I suppose maybe they're doing that because then they want to use, of anybody, bring Charlie Cox into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, put him into the movies. I think he would do really well in like a Spider-Man Far From Home where it takes place in New York. You can just have Spider-Man kind of run into him or something. Spider-Man especially with Tom Holland's enthusiasm and exuberance, I think they could have some fun with it. Not to, like, Deadpool level of meta, but I think Tom Holland's bubbly attitude mixed with Matt Murdock's just grisly, dim depression could make for some funny scenes. So that is kind of what I am hoping. But nobody knows right now. Uh, the whole Disney Plus streaming service is just all a mystery to us, the regular folks, so far. Uh, Jessica Jones, they already wrapped the current season. So that 
regardless, is going to be on Netflix. That is happening. Punisher, we do not know yet. I personally feel like we do not need another Punisher TV series. That second season was just so brutal and so violent and just so gun culture. Yeah, I'm okay skipping that one. If you want to drop them into a couple episodes of something else you do in the future, sure. I also think that he could work in the MCU as that gritty, street-level character. Uh, Jessica Jones, I think, also could fold in. Iron Fist and Luke Cage, those ones are the ones that I'm a bit on the fence about. But again, they have not even announced that they're going to be folding in anything from the Netflix shows into the MCU. So we would just kind of have to hold our horses and wait for that. Uh, The last bit of Marvel news. As I have been saying for a couple weeks, every week there's more Marvel news. I could do a daily show that is just all Marvel news. New stuff is coming out every day. I'm not going to do a daily show. That would be crazy talk. Uh, Unless for whatever reason I got a bunch of emails at abouttreeview at gmail.com saying, please, John, do a daily show, and we will see if that happens, but I I doubt it. Uh, Regardless, every week there will be new news. The hot news from this week is they dropped a new Captain Marvel trailer. Now, the movie comes out in a few months, which is kind of right around the corner, because all we have to do is get through this award season in the next few weeks, and it will be there right around the corner. This new trailer definitely shows us a lot more of the characters, shows us more of the plot points, more of the graphics. It actually shows the scrolls, or at least a scroll, in action. So I was already on board for this movie. This was a great trailer. Because even though it lays that foundation, it does not give you everything. Recently, I was watching, I forget what screening uh, I attended, there's a preview for some new dog movie where, of course, the dog is talking and it its favorite game is Don't Chew the Shoe and it looks terrible. In this three-minute trailer, we watched the entire 90-minute movie from when she was a puppy to when she gets lost to when she gets found. Literally, this is not even like a spoiler thing. This was all in the trailer. We see her entire journey <laughs> So I like that this trailer for Captain Marvel gives us more touch points, gives us a bunch more Easter eggs for those of us who could kind of pick them out. So this is solid. Definitely excited for this. Brie Larson is also great. So yeah, the Captain Marvel trailer, uh, again, all the links to all of the geek news items and the movies will be in the show notes below. So definitely check out that trailer. On to other comic book news. I realize that all of the geek news this week has to do with comic book stuff, and I am 100% okay with that. But on the DC side of things, Blue Beetle is also getting his own movie. That is in talks right now as well. Now, this is going to be the new incarnation of Blue Beetle, or rather the newer slash current incarnation, Jamie Reyes, uh, which started in 2006. That is a smart move. It, again, reminds me of why when they did the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, you gave us Hal Jordan and not Jon Stewart or even Kyle Rayner. Just, that was just dumb in a lot of ways. But this, they're taking the current version of the character that has been around in the comics for the past 12 years, 
and giving him his own movie. So Jamie Reyes, or Jaime Reyes, as he is, as he goes by in like Young Justice, Mexican American, uh, superhero, young superhero, similar to Tom Holland. And if they go with a younger actor, that would be a good choice. Because again, Tom Holland is the best incarnation we have ever had of Spider-Man because he looks like a high schooler. He looks like a kid who just got these powers and is excited. Tobey Maguire looks 40 years old. It just does not work out. So with this, with Blue Beetle, I think they just they need to cast young. Just a young, solid Latino actor, and it would be great. So what is also funny about the Blue Beetle character, this is a weird, deep cut so when Blue Beetle first when Blue Beetle first came out in 1939, this was back in like the late 30s, early 40s when characters they were given the most ridiculous origin stories. The original Blue Beetle, Dan Garrett, yeah, Dan Garrett, uh, yeah, he got his powers by taking the dreaded Vitamin 2X. What was Vitamin 2X? We never found out. It was just a thing. It was similar to Jay Garrick, the original Flash from 1940, got his powers from inhaling hard water. Uh-huh, you heard me, folks. Hard water, that thing that, like, our parents sometimes talked about with the plumbing. Yeah, that was how the original Flash got his powers. They changed it early on to then it was an experiment with heavy water. Come on, 1940s writers. There had to be better stuff than that, but again... That was when science and technology was was kind of becoming more the rage and gamma rays and everything was space. So those early ones, silly origins, but they laid the groundwork for what we love now. So Blue Beetle, getting his own movie, Jaime Reyes, awesome to see a, a young Latino headlining a movie like this. To see things like Shazam and Aquaman, Wonder Woman, of course, we're all on board. Those are well-known, established characters. Maybe not so much Shazam, but people at least have maybe some sort of touch points. With this, with Blue Beetle, all on board for more representation. Uh, and then the last bit of comic book movie news. So Infidel, the comic book that I have been a fan of since before it was actually officially released. Uh, when I met Porntak, Pichet showed the writer at Emerald City Comic Con over a year ago. And then he and the artist Aaron Campbell were on the show, on my show, talking about it before the last issue came out. So they acquired a movie deal before issue two of five hit the stands. That is phenomenal, especially for an independent comic book through Image. Fantastic. So they just announced, like as of I think today, that they nailed down their director. And again, these things change. A lot can change from now until whenever they go into production. But as of right now, they snagged two-time Oscar-nominated director Hani Abu Assad. Now, he was nominated for a couple of films, uh, foreign language films, Paradise Now and Omar, in the past like decade. So this is not somebody who was like, oh, he was nominated 30 years ago. Like, he is still in the mix, still fresh, still current. And yeah, this is through TriStar Pictures, uh, I think Sugar Sugar 23. The same people behind Maniac on Netflix are also producing Infidel. So 100% on board with that. I'm a huge fan of the comic, huge fan of just my friends who created 
that comic card, the people that I met who became my friends over the past couple of years. I just, I love seeing people, independent creators especially, get their shot. So the fact that they did this and now we will be able to get to see it on the big screen in just a couple of years, phenomenal. So yeah, that was it for, for the geek news. Just a few things right there. Uh, now, any of my listeners who have been listening for a while know that I am a huge musical fan. Musical theater, movie musicals, does not matter. I'm on board. I pretty much grew up on stage, either on stage, behind stage, photography, singing, everything. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my buddy Matt Oakes from Silver Screen Riot, he had an extra ticket for In the Heights, which was playing at the Seattle Rep Theater. And he hit me up like <laughs> a few hours before and he was like, hey, I can't use this extra ticket. Do you want to go? Uh, any of my friends who are listening or anybody who is listening in the Seattle area, if you have an extra ticket for a musical, hit me up. Because nine times out of ten, I will make the time to go and see a stage production because I love it. So the stage production we saw was In the Heights, which was the first production, really, that Lin-Manuel Miranda, who went on to do a little thing called, um, oh yeah, Hamilton, the 11-time Tony Award winning Hamilton, in 2008 was when he did In the Heights. And so this one is much more of a personal story than Hamilton, which of course, you know, is a historical piece. Now, In the Heights tells a story over three days of a neighborhood, a predominantly Latino neighborhood, or Latin neighborhood, I should say, because there are Latinas and Boricuas and, yeah, a Latin neighborhood in Washington Heights in 2008, actually. Of course, the musical takes place in the same year that it was written. So the star of the show is Usnavi. He owns a bodega and is interacting with, you know, the groups and the families that own the businesses in the block. So you have Rosario's, the taxi company, the salon. You have his abuela, who is kind of the neighborhood watchdog and everything. And she helped raise everybody there. The salon is where all of the gossip is. No me diga. So all of this is happening over the course of three days. And you have, of course, you have love stories, which even though I have gone on record <laughs> saying that romantic comedies are my least favorite film genre, of all time, not a fan. If you put it in a musical, I can tolerate it a lot better. Because it is a musical, and I can relate to it. As opposed to movies like Love Actually, which are just garbage. Um, so anyway, so you have this cast of characters, you know, from all these little shops that have known each other forever. And it is just such a personal and unique story. Where he is just talking about going throughout his day and like, you know, my parents gave me this bodega, but I have dreams to either go back to DR, Dominican Republic. I have dreams of doing all these things, but this is where I am now. And kind of what do we do and what are the connections that truly matter? You know, and so of course he has his uh, love interest. And actually, let me pull that up again. I should actually shout out the some of the people involved in this because this is something I rarely get to do is talk about musical theater. Uh, so Usnavi, the lead was played by Ryan um, Alvarado. Uh, let me see. The abuela was Yasmin uh, Ehlers. And then Daniela was the 
salon shop owner. So yeah, so his love interest, uh, Vanessa Stephanie Gomez. So he, of course, is just head over heels for this girl that he has known forever. His friends keep telling him, like, just talk to her. Just ask her out and stop being dumb <laughs> and just take the chance. But of course, he has to get talked into it over the course of the musical. Again, this is a storyline that if this is a movie, I just do not really care. Because it just it is so just cliche and kind of trite. The difference with musicals, especially one like this, which is a contemporary musical. I was talking to somebody recently. <laughs> actually, it was on the Northwest Nerd episode. And, you know, they were saying that, you know, it would be nice to see a musical where they know that music existed past 1950. This is that type of musical. So the music, of course, has just these Afro-Latino beats and rhythms, and it's just unique and fresh. So with that in mind, seeing these storylines that, yes, you know, they are cliche. Boy meets girl, boy likes girl, boy is too shy to ask out girl, girl might get interested in somebody else. There is drama, there is intrigue. Do they end up together? Do they not end up together? What is the real meaning? Yes, we have seen that story played out in every medium a gajillion times. But in musical theater, there's something about just the authenticity of sitting there and watching people perform that makes it feel real. It makes it feel like it actually matters versus a movie when you have sharp cuts everywhere and all of this different production budget. I think that is one of the reasons that I am always captivated by live theater. It is just a different experience. So yeah, so that was at the Seattle Rep. I believe it is playing for the next couple weeks. So yes, through December 30th. So I highly recommend going to see In the Heights. There is a new movie that actually is in development. Uh, I forget what studio is doing it. Not Warner. Uh, but yeah, so in the in the movie version of this, uh, the lead is actually going to be played by Anthony Ramos, who was in She's Gotta Have It. He was also one of the originators in the Hamilton cast, and he has played Usnavi in a production before. So he was cast as Usnavi. They have not announced who else is going to be in this, but this is going. This is a great production. I mean, it won four Tonys the year it came out. It won a Grammy. It also won like a Pulitzer. It was a Pulitzer finalist for writing. So if they can just take <laughs> that part of it and translate that to film, solid. And of course, I will be there. It is a movie musical. Duh. Of course, I will. So... Yeah, so that was In the Heights. Uh, the official rating system for this podcast, which does not only adhere to movies. It is with TV shows. It is with, in this instance, musical theater. There are three choices. There are no letter grades, no stars. Why? Because those are really complicated and they add too many choices. I wanted to simplify things. So I came up with my system, which is good, bad, or ugly. A good project, we will say, a good piece of media is something that you enjoyed something that you wanted to talk about, you wanted to tell your friends about so that they could enjoy it as well. Bad is something that you came out of the theater or the production and you were like, that was all right. It did not blow me away, but it was still decent. Ugly, avoid at all costs. So the local production here in Seattle at the Seattle Rep uh, Theater for Indie Heights absolutely gets a good. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. The music was incredible. The performances were great. 
There were a couple technical issues that, again, most people are probably not going to notice. Being somebody who has run tech for theater, I noticed a little bit. But other than that, like, I was still captivated. I was still in the moment. The performances were great. So, yeah, shout out to everybody in the cast. Uh, yeah, I will put the link to that show in the show notes below. So, In the Heights, in Seattle until December 30th. Go see it. You can actually download the soundtrack as well from the original Broadway cast. I recommend that because it is Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he is phenomenal. So, last week, within the span of three days in a row, I saw three musicals, and it was amazing. It reminded me of kind of high school or college when I was seeing a bunch like that. So I went from In the Heights, live theater, to then the next night, seeing Anna in the Apocalypse, which I will be talking about shortly. The night after that, seeing the new Mary Poppins, which Mary Poppins, uh, that review will be coming up. Oof, I need to check my embargo dates. I think next week. I have to be careful with that one, though, because... The embargo gets a little bit weird. So, but yes, so I saw three musicals in the span of three days, all very different. Uh, but yeah, so Anna and the Apocalypse. This is a new movie that actually premiered, it made its world premiere last year at the Fantastic Fest in Texas. So it played there, got some distribution, had its European premiere because this is a UK production, had its European premiere, got distributorship. And now is making kind of a limited run in the U.S. This is directed by John McPhail. And this is based off of a 2009 short film. An 18-minute short film called Zombie Musical. Which I highly recommend. Uh, It is all on YouTube. You can actually just watch the entire short film, 18 minutes, on YouTube. And it was the original Zombie Musical was written by Ryan McHenry. Scottish film student uh, who just wanted to do this passion project of a zombie high school musical. So, yeah, they kind of build this. I saw one of the trailers uh, being billed as when Zombie Man, when Zombie Man, when Zombie Land meets La La Land, you have Anna and the Apocalypse. I would kind of go one step further and I would say, like, when High School Musical meets Walking Dead. Meets La La Land, even though I don't even like putting La La Land in the comparison because, well, I enjoyed Anna and the Apocalypse way more than La La Land. I will just put that out on Front Street. So, yeah. So the original film, though, the short film, Zombie Musical, won a BAFTA when it came out, which is awesome. So they started working on and workshopping a feature-length film pretty soon after that, like with Ryan and his writing partners who were involved in Zombie Musical in 2014. When they were kind of finalizing the script, Ryan was diagnosed with bone cancer, uh, with a type of bone cancer. I'm not sure exactly which type. And as they're kind of working on it, finalizing it in 2015, at 27 years old, Ryan passed away from cancer. And all of his friends who had worked on him, not just with Zombie Musical, but also on this new treatment for a feature film, were there the whole time and they're talking through it. And one of the, uh, let me actually see, I want to get this quote right. Uh, oh, so uh, the guy, and I forget his, where is his first name? Nason Ale Carew. Carew. 
I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. So that was who he worked, who Ryan worked with on Zombie Musical. So he gives this quote when he is talking to Ryan, kind of towards the end of his of his life. You know, when when things are getting bad. And he says that I had a conversation with Ryan in January 2015, and I asked him, "Would you want us to make the film if the worst happens?" And he said, yes, that we should, that it belongs to all of us, that it was the first proper thing we'd been able to make together. I just hoped it wouldn't be the last thing we'd be able to make together. Heartbreaking story uh, from 2015 when, again, this young filmmaker who had created um, also like the Vine sensations where Ryan Gosling would not eat his cereal and you would see this spoon kind of go up to the screen. That was Ryan McHenry. That was the guy who did the short film Zombie Musical and made those Vine kind of uh, huge meme explosions that kind of came up from that. And after he passed away, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan McHenry passed away, um, Ryan Gosling actually did a Vine of him eating cereal and put up this really nice tweet saying, you know, to all the supporters of Ryan, I was just glad that I could be a part of his life for however long it was. Really, really sweet. Uh, so yeah, so that was kind of the basis for Anna and the Apocalypse. So Anna and the Apocalypse, uh, yeah, is this kind of crazy high school musical, high school zombie musical that takes place around Christmas time. And a zombie apocalypse breaks out. And it threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven, which is where this takes place in the UK. And Anna then has to basically fight for her survival in the zombie apocalypse. Now, again, two things that I love, musicals and zombies. Boom, put them together and you have something like this that actually acknowledges zombies. They're not walkers. They're not all these things. It bothers me so much in zombie movies and zombie media when nobody acknowledges that zombies exist. When nobody acknowledges that in whatever fictional world these people came from, the word zombie just did not happen. That is dumb. So I like how in this movie, pretty early on, you see uh, Ella Hunt, uh, whose character Anna, her best friend Malcolm Cumming, play, who plays John, they decapitate uh, a person, a zombie, as it were. And they're just on the swing set. And John is like, that's a zombie right there. She was like, oh, I'm not really sure. And he was like, what do you mean? And they turn, the camera pans down, and there's a zombie head that is still alive trying to kind of eat them. That type of meta level, where it is not super in your face, but it is enough for them to recognize zombies exist. These are things that are, at least in fiction, real. So I just thought that was hilarious. And this gets really close to also acknowledging that it is a musical in multiple occasions. This is not like the old school musicals where people would break out into this huge dance number. The music would fade, the camera would pan up, and then it would go to a next scene. This one, they finish a big song and dance number, and then the school bell rings, and all of them are like, oh, okay. And they just go back to their day. But they get really close to acknowledging that they're living in a musical more than once. And I just thought that was like a clever little twist. And this is also a solid zombie movie. Like take away the songs 
which I mean, that would be a shame because the songs are pretty great. But take away that, and this is still a good zombie movie. Which I think anytime you are doing some sort of mashup of different genres or whatever, maybe try and figure out, okay, without this other genre, without this other thing that they're kind of trying to shoehorn in here, would it stand up? So in this one, it does. Like, this is a solid zombie movie. The headmaster of the school, where basically a lot of people are trying to take refuge, duh, because they always have to find one location. Uh, he is played by Paul K. He has an odd solo, which honestly was kind of my, my least favorite musical number. And it reminded me a lot of like Little Shop of Horrors, where Steve Martin as this crazy dentist has just this crazy song where you just you see how maniacal and borderline evil he is. So Paul K's character, Savage, Headmaster Savage, has one of those numbers. And it was just, it, yeah, it, it just did not really kind of pull me in like the rest of them did. Uh, but other than that, like there were so many other songs, <laughs> even little ones. Uh, there's a Penguin song that I think the whole thing is on YouTube. It is short. I think it is like a minute long. Is also hilarious. There is a super cringy an awkward yet hilarious, uh, more adult version of Santa Baby that one of the high school girls is singing for this talent show. It is so uncomfortable and so funny. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. One thing again, and I talked about this last year with The Greatest Showman, being the kind of musical purist that I am, a lot of the way that this was shot, a lot of the way that Anne and the Apocalypse was shot was similar to The Greatest Showman in that, to me, it was shot more like a music video versus a musical. And again, this might be, it was just a weird week for me to go from seeing a Broadway level show of live theater of In the Heights to then go to something like this and see that stark contrast where as soon as a character on screen opens her mouth to sing, it immediately goes to the recorded track. And you could tell, like, there was a slight delay, a slight separation where the speaking voice to transition into the recorded voice was was there. Like, it was it was not dramatic. That would, that would be kind of too much. But it was very evident. Then the next day, I see Mary Poppins. And so I got to see kind of all three iterations of of different levels. Mary Poppins, it was much more seamless when they would go to that recorded track but all of them you know all of them serve their purpose you know in different ways so yeah other than kind of being shot more like a music video than a musical the actual production numbers uh the choreographer uh sarah swire who plays steph in the movie she'd also did the choreography and she had a really great uh quote i forget where the article was if i can find it i will try and link it below and she talks about how they did not have professional dancers like on set ready to go. So when she went to do the choreography, she's like, I need to be able to figure out choreography that I can teach people in an hour and they can be ready in an hour. So she was like, I don't have dancers, but I have really good movers. That is a great quote. Anybody who has been in a, a production where you needed to learn choreography quickly. Yeah, usually you do not always have some great dancers, but if you have people that can at least move and make it look good for the little parts that they're in the shots. Fantastic. And the set pieces. 
for those dance numbers. And a lot of this, after I went back and watched the original, the zombie musical short film, a lot of them are almost scene for scene, you know, recreated in this feature length film, which is great. That is just an awesome way to honor the memory of the original creator, Ryan McHenry. And so as she is getting ready in the morning and she has her headphones in and just like walking down the street as there is a zombie apocalypse happening literally all around her, people are getting eaten. People are running away. She has her headphones in, singing, dancing down the street, does not even notice. But it worked. Like, it, a lot of people give musicals crap because people just start randomly singing. I love that. Of course I do. But some people, that is where the disconnect happens. This, it just, it felt natural. It felt pretty organic. And the music was solid. Uh, let me see what else I wrote down. Oh, uh, definitely a shout out to Ben Wiggins. Uh, who played Nick, I had his song, Soldier of War, stuck in my head for like four days after I saw this film. And he definitely plays, you know, the jock who, once a zombie outbreak happens, he is actually happy. Because then he gets to use all of his jock abilities with his group of cronies and just go out and bash people with bats and loot stuff and steal things. So, but his character was was great. I loved his song. And yeah, it was just a solid performance. Performances, I would say, by everybody. Uh, Even though, again, yes, there are some weird plot twists where Headmaster Savage (laughs) is always kind of the antagonist, but then he has like this weird transition where it was like, wait, were you trying to actually kill people? I'm not sure. It It was just kind of bizarre. But With the production value that they had, the set numbers were great, the dance sequences were solid, and it just, yeah, it felt like a great tribute to Ryan McHenry's original vision of Zombie Musical, but actually, yeah, they they had the time and they had the money and they had the ability to do a feature-length film. Uh, When this premiered at Fantastic Fest in Texas, some of the crowd, or some of the cast that was in attendance at one of the after parties at a karaoke bar actually got up on stage at the bar and sang some of the songs. So that is pretty cool because, again, it shows that, like, this young cast of of characters, like, they know their stuff. And so I'm not saying that they could not sing, uh, but it was just something where that, that transition from their speaking voice to their singing voice, yeah, that was just, it was a little bit different. Uh, Hollywood Ending is one of the main songs. Of all the songs that I want to see performed at the Oscars for Best Original Song, of course, Shallow from A Star Is Born is going to get played. It is going to get nominated. I really want them to do Hollywood Ending. This is something where I just want to see the Academy, just people sitting there. I want to see this choreographed, and I want to see this performed, this zombie high school musical. So... Uh, yeah, so that kind of, yeah, those are my thoughts on Anna and the Apocalypse. Like I said, it is going to be in theaters probably for just a couple weeks because the next few weeks are just brutal. A lot of, lot of big stuff are is coming out. So my official rating for Anna and the Apocalypse is good. I had a great time at this movie. This is something where, again, the soundtrack was great. The performances were solid. I, just, I want more people to see this, and more people need to see this. I think they will really get a kick out of it, even if it is just for 
the kitsch factor. So, because some people were like, oh, but it kind of missed the glee wave of a few years ago. Who cares? Let it be its own thing. So, and it is. It is unique. It is different. So, yeah. Anna and the Apocalypse, directed by uh, John McPhail, uh, gets a good from me. And the composers for the soundtrack, Roddy Hart and Tommy Relly. Um, I have been talking to them recently, and hopefully they are actually going to be doing a guest spot on this podcast right here. So I will get to interview them, talk about their music choices, talk about what it was like writing the music for a zombie musical. So yeah, so Anna and the Apocalypse gets a good. In the Heights gets a good as well from Seattle Rep. That kind of wraps it up for this week's episode. Like I said, a little bit shorter. Some big things that are coming up. So this coming Monday, check the Seattle Film Critics Twitter from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. We will be making our announcements for the year-end awards. So that will be the nominees on Monday morning live streamed, as it were, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and then the following Monday is when we will announce the winners of our annual awards. Really looking forward to to this. We had some great choices last year. Um, I actually am designing the graphics and the slides for this year's nominees and the eventual winners, so check Seattle Film Critics on Twitter on Monday. So that will be the nominations. Uh, The upcoming movie reviews. So Roma, Mary Poppins, uh, Aquaman is coming up, Bumblebee is also coming up, Into the Spider-Verse, some big movies are coming up. And then tomorrow, check the Northwest Nerd Podcast feed, which again, I will put a link to in the description below. I did a guest spot on that podcast. I'm always happy to hang out with Nick and Dyer, not Nick and Jaren. Uh, Nick and Jaren, those guys, forget them. Uh, But Nick and Dyer, always great to hang out with them and be a guest on their podcast, Northwest Nerd. We talked about some holiday movies. Again, I just got back from their studio a little bit ago, and it is late. So, yeah. So this episode, I think, is actually going to be going up a little bit later than normal because of that. But anyway, so check out Northwest Nerd. Check out those upcoming reviews. And again, social media, at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, abouttoreview.com youtube.com slash about review. If you want to support the show, click on the support tab. There's a PayPal link. There's an Amazon wish list. It means the world to me. And I'm so thankful that you guys listen to the show every week. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Uh, I appreciate you as well. So that is it for this week's episode of the About Review podcast. I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.